All right, yeah, this, this mic is really not good for me. I'm a walker. Okay, so uh, we're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 9. Uh, verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me. Those are the two words I kind of want to talk about a little bit. And it says, Matthew got up, and he followed him. And I don't want you to miss this here because what Jesus did is it's, it's amazing really what he did there. You see, Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, and I don't know if you guys know much about that, that culture, but they were the most hated people around at that time. The Jewish people hated them. They were, they were considered the scum of the earth to the Jewish people. I mean, you think we don't like the IRS here? They hated tax collectors then. Because they were sellouts. They were Jewish people who sold their people out to work for the Roman government. And not only that, they would extort their own people. Because the Romans would say, hey, you got, you're going to collect this much money. After that, anything you get over the top, you can keep. So guess what they did? They strong-armed the people. And they took advantage of them. And they, and they, they were just hated so badly because of it, because they were sellouts. And most of us, you know, most of them, they got that position because they were corrupt anyways, and they, and they sold their people out. But they were outcasts in the Jewish life. They couldn't go to the synagogue. They couldn't be a witness in the courts. And they were seen just as a disgrace to their, to to their family. Their family would disown them because they were a disgrace. And Jesus knew how badly they were hated. He knew that, and he even used them as an example uh, in a parable in Luke chapter 18, it says, And he also said, uh, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others as contempt. Jesus said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I am not swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. So you get my point here, right? They were hated. And they were seen as unforgivable. And now, now Jesus is starting to get the church people mad, right? Because he's going to the unforgivable. Who in the church people's eyes, no way they can be forgiven. You know, they were okay with Jesus up to this point and what he was doing. But now Jesus is going to these people that are the scum of the earth. He's going to these people that are outcasts, and he's wanting them to come in and follow him. That's where the people got, they didn't like that. I mean, can't Jesus see this, collect, this tax collector? He don't fit the mold. He's not what a, a follower should be. He's not what a Christian should be. And does that sound familiar today, church? A lot of us have fallen into that. There's so many self-righteous people out there who will turn their nose up to somebody because they don't look like they should or they don't act like they should or because their past is something that is seen as unforgivable and that person seems too far gone to be here with us church people. And I would say most of us at some point have thought that. I'm going to be honest, I have. I've thought that. We see this man or woman that life has beaten up, that life has really took its toll on, and we think, ah, 
man, too bad for them. Or we see this drug addict that, that, that drugs has destroyed their life. And what we, uh, I can't believe they're here. I know what they were doing the other night. I mean, it's all over Facebook. And we think, no way. What are they doing here? And we look and we worry about all this stuff that Jesus doesn't care about. All this outside stuff that Jesus, Jesus isn't even concerned about. And we think, oh, man, thank God I'm not like that person. Thank God that I'm sitting here today and I'm not like that person, right? And we forget that the blood of Jesus was shed for that person just as much as it was shed for you and me. Just as much. Every drop of his blood was shed for that person just as much as it was for us. And we forget that sometimes. You know, I... uh, I was called by a family one time to uh, uh, go visit someone, uh, and, and I knew this person, and he was a known atheist, and he was hardcore. And I hadn't been, you know, pastoring real long, uh, but he was hardcore. And so we're sitting in there, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to say, right? And uh, we're just talking along, and me being this brave, bold pastor that I am, Eventually got up the courage to say, so what do you think about this whole Jesus thing? I mean, that was my opening line. I didn't know what to say. And he just started bawling. He had come to the point in his life that he realized where he was at. And he knew what he needed. And it wasn't any big great words that I said. It was the Jesus that brought him to that point. But in my mind, he was... He was unforgivable. I was scared to death to go talk to him because he didn't fit the mold. He wasn't here to hear the word. I had to go to him, and I was scared. I'm not going to lie. And I forgot this verse, Romans 5, 8. says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were cleaning ourselves up, and not while we got good, and not after we fit the mold. While we were yet sinners, when we were deep down, nose deep in sin, that's when Jesus died for us. That's why he died for us. And I just think this is amazing. Jesus made this divine appointment. To seek Matthew out. Matthew didn't go looking for him. Jesus sought him out and said, come and follow me. And Matthew, this man that even in his own mind, probably at that point, he had given up. Even in his own mind, he thought, yeah, I'm I'm unforgivable. I'm the outcast. And in his own mind, probably sitting there at some point in time thinking, how did I get here? How did I get to this point in my life that I'm sitting here doing this? But then, praise God, here comes Jesus. And Jesus doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about the past. He simply says to Matthew, follow me. You know, what the, what the religious leaders wanted him to say at that point was, get out of my face, Matthew, you're worthless. Go home and clean up, Matthew, and come back and maybe. 
stop doing this, Matthew, and come back and see me, and maybe. That's what they wanted him to say to Matthew, but that's not what he said. He simply says, follow me. See, that's because Jesus knows something about us, sometimes that we don't even know ourselves yet. He knows that when we decide to really follow him, when we decide to give ourselves up for him, that's going to change us. That's going to change you. But he knows that when we try to do things on our own, when we try to quit this or we try to do, try to do that, that doesn't get us closer to Jesus. When we try to self-will things, Jesus wants followers. He wants you to follow him. That's how you change. He knows that following this, we could put up 100 rules up here, and you could keep every one, and that won't change your heart. It might make you feel like a better person, but it won't change you, and Jesus knows that. That's why he gives this invitation to us. Follow him. And he knows that when we follow him, we're going to see things change. We're going to see our lives change. We're going to see miracles happen that we think there's no way could happen. I want to take a look at something here. Um, Does everybody know the story of uh, Gideon? I want to take a look real quick. I'm going to read this verse here, and then we'll talk about it just for a minute. Judges uh, chapter 6 says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree, with the, which is, that was in Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abiziite. Uh, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. O valiant warrior. Now, if you know that story, you know that the Midianites were devastating Israel at that time. They were destroying Israel at that time. And the Bible says there came in the number that they were like locusts. They were just all over Israel and they were destroying it. And Gideon here, he's actually out, he's hiding, trying to save a little wheat for himself. See, because they used to be wheat up on the hill, right? They would thresh their wheat up on the hill, but he's down, way down here hiding in the wine press, trying to save a little bit for himself. And he's scared to death. And he's hiding out from these uh, Midianites, and then the angel of the Lord comes, and what does he say? O valiant warrior, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's probably thinking, thank God, where is he? Where's this valiant warrior at? But he's talking to him. Because God sees what Gideon is going to be after he comes to trust in him fully. And that's the same way with us. God sees what we're going to be when we can trust in him fully. That's why he says, follow me. Trust in me. He doesn't care about where Gideon's at right now at this point. He sees where he's going and what he's going to be. And Gideon's thinking, there's no way he's talking to me. I'm scared to death. And if you know the real, you know, if you read this story, and if you, if you haven't, I would, I would suggest you go back and read it. But God takes him through this whole series of events to teach him to trust him and to depend on him. And finally, Gideon gets it, and he does, and God brings about some awesome things through Gideon. But that's the point. See, God sees where we're going to be. There ain't none of us in here right now if we're being truly honest, are where we need to be or where that we should be. 
And I know that's hard to imagine that I'm not where I need to be, that Ben or Chris or Nate, we're not where we need to be. But like the saying goes, right, we're not where we used to be. And God knows what we can be. And that's the same for every one of us in here. So I want us all just to repeat this. I don't know who made this saying up, but we'll just, I'll take credit for it. Right? So I want you guys all to say it with me. I'm not where I need to be. But I know I'm not where I used to be. And God knows what I can be. Tell yourself that often. And now before we move on here to this next section, I just got to ask. It's, it's getting about that time when these uh, New Year's resolutions, right, they start getting hard. You know, you're a month in or so, and it's starting to get hard. And people start dying off right about at this point. Has anybody made a, did anybody make a New Year's resolution? You guys are not the normal. I'm going to tell you I did, and guess what it is? Like most people, lose weight, right? Or get in shape. And I'm not going to lie to you. You might not believe this, but I've lost 300 pounds. The problem is I've lost 30 pounds 10 times and gained it back. That's my problem. I can't stick to it. And it's hard to believe, and I'm going to be honest, I hate exercising. I hate it. I know it's supposed to make you feel good, but it hurts. When you get my age, you go all out for a few days, and it hurts. I'm thinking, how does it's not supposed to feel this way, is it? Don't get me wrong. I love the results. I love the results. If there was a pill I could take, I'd take it. I love the results. I mean, I, I get so into it. I would love to look. Who was the guy, Tony uh, Horton or whatever his name was, the P90X guy? I would love to look like that. But I don't want to bring it X-style every day. I hate exercising to that degree. I mean, I've tried. Honestly, I've had, I've had every video. I've had, seen about every video. Sean T. I've seen things from Tony Little to Tony Horton. And if you go back into my library somewhere, you'll probably see Richard Simmons. I'm so old. I have tried it all, but I hate to exercise. I would love the results, but I hate it. I mean, I get that new video, and I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going to bring it. I turn it on, and I see that Tony Horton. He's like, X-Style, bring it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Tony, I'm bringing it. This time, I'm bringing it, Tony. And then two weeks later, I'm still bringing it. I'm still there. And then three or four weeks, it's like, yeah, yeah, Tony, get on with it. And then at six weeks, I'm on the couch eating Little Debbie's, watching my 600-pound life to feel good about myself. That's what happens. It gets hard. It gets hard to stick with it sometimes. I know it's good for me. I know exercising is good for me. And I know the results are good for me. But sometimes it just gets hard. And I give up, and I don't want to put in the work. And the reason I tell you that, and I'm going to be real honest with you, that uh, even sometimes as a, a pastor, and I'm sure that you guys have done it too, sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. 
I mean, let's be honest in here. You're in church. You can't lie. It's hard sometimes to follow Jesus. Even though we want to, even though we know that that's what's best for us, sometimes life has a way of getting in the way of following Jesus. Now, I know all of you guys have probably heard that person that says, not me. I don't have a care in the world. I get up in the morning and the birds are singing and the sun is shining and all is good. And around here, like Pastor Chris says, we call them liars. I mean, we start out in our Christian walk just like I do with exercise, and we're on fire, aren't we? We're on fire. We're going to do everything for God. But over time, this life, our life, and the world has a way of getting in the way. It has a way of creeping in, and we allow it to creep in, and it starts to chip away at that fire, doesn't it? It starts to chip away. We want to follow Jesus, but life sometimes chips away at that fire. It starts to throw obstacles and hardships in the way of us following Jesus and our devotion to Jesus. You know, the enemy and and this world itself is relentless. It wants to destroy you. It wants to throw these obstacles out so that you give up. Because he knows what you can be when you fully sell out to Jesus. You know, the Bible says we all have this race to run. And our race is our own path with God. I can't run anybody else's race. The problem is we start going along the way and we start, we're on our race and we're going good. And then what happens? Tragedy strikes. And then we're, we're off path and we're over here. We start forgetting to trust God through it. And we're walking along the path, and what happens? We lose our job, or hard times come, and now we're off over here. And we're not following that race, that path that God has laid out for us. We start to walk our own path. And we start to get off course. And not only that the world brings it, you know what one of our biggest problems is? Sin. Ourselves. I mean, let's face it, sometimes we... We like to sin. The Bible even says that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but what? Its way is death. But we fall into that trap. And we sometimes give the flesh what it desires. And there's a battle raging in us. Sometimes it will feel good to lash out. You know, the Apostle Paul even struggled with this in Romans 7. The Apostle Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am going to do the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me and that no one wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is my members. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul says there is a war going on every day with your flesh and the spirit that is inside of you. The flesh that wants to to sin. And do evil. 
and in the spirit that is calling you to be better and to do better. There's a war. And whichever one you feed, whichever one that you listen to more, whichever one that you uh, feed more, that's the path you're going to go on. You know, sometimes it, it just feels good. We think it's going to feel good to sin, don't we? I mean, let's be honest in here. Don't lie. That time somebody gets in your face, your boss gets in your face and starts yelling at work or challenging you, your flesh is telling you, let them have it. Right? Don't take this. That's what your flesh is telling you. Or mom's in here. When's the last time somebody picked on one of your kids? What happened? Mama bear claws come out, don't they? Even though the spirit is telling you there's a godly way to go about this. There's a godly way to handle this. The spirit is telling you that, but the flesh is telling you, uh-uh, let them have it. That's that war that the Apostle Paul is talking about that is raging inside of you. Every day that battle is going on. Or, you know, a lot of us in here, and maybe you don't struggle with it, but a lot of us in here like to hold grudges if we tell the truth. Somebody makes us mad. Somebody does us wrong in our eyes. What do we do? That's it. I'm done with them. I'm not forgiving them. Do they know what they did to me? Sometimes they probably don't even really know. And we hold this grudge and we refuse to forgive because they had it coming to them. Even though the Bible says what? As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That means you better make sure that your slate is clean. But we refuse to forgive. You know, Jesus talked about this. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You want to be a true worshiper of me? If you come to this altar and you come here to worship and pray, and yet you remember that you've got something against your brother or he has something against you, you may as well as leave and go home. Don't come in here worshiping me with sin in your heart against someone else. He says, go make it right with that person and then come back and worship me. But we don't want to do that, do we? Because that's too hard. Or what about us? You know, there's some single people in here. Mostly this is the, the old married group. But there is some single people in here. And, you know, you become a Christian and, and you want to follow God, at, but your friends are still out there, man, and they're still trying to pull you back in, ain't they? Come on, let's just go out to the club just for a little bit. We're just going to go out for a little bit. And you try to resist it and you try to fight it. And you know that you shouldn't be out there. You know that no good is going to come from being out in that place. But, I mean, you're lonely, right? All your other friends in here are old. They don't know what it's like. You're lonely. Surely Jesus doesn't want me to be lonely. He wants me to have fun, right? And before you know it, you end up like 50 Cent, right? They can find you in the club, right? That's what we do. We give up, and we're out there doing the things that we know that we shouldn't do. Instead of following Jesus, we choose sometimes to do the easy thing instead of doing the right thing. We choose sometimes to do the easy thing and give in to sin instead of doing what we know is good for us and following Jesus. You know, there's some teens in here, and I tell you, I don't, I don't envy you at all. 
mean, I envy having the young body, but other than that, this world that you guys are growing up in today, it's, it's crazy. The temptations that you have, I know you guys have so many advantages, but man, there's so many temptations out there. But what would it look like if you stepped out in faith? What would it do in your friend group if you stepped out in faith? How could that change your world? How could that change your friends? If you decided truly to follow Jesus and not to follow the world, what would that look like? And I know it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes when you're faced with so many temptations. And there's so many Christians that believe, you know, I can play around with sin. I'm strong enough, right? I'm just going to dip my toes in it and wiggle around and see how it feels. And I'm not going to let it get too far. The problem is, Sin wants to destroy you. The problem is you start out dipping your little toes in there. And then you look back and six months later, you're drowning in it. And you don't even know how you got to that point. You know, there was a song out years ago, and it it always still hits home to me. Uh, It was called uh, Slow Fade. And it's about how every little decision that we make put us on this path that we're on. And we're slowly fading away from Jesus. We're slowly fading away from where we need to be. And then we look back and and don't even realize how we got there. But, you know, sometimes it takes sacrifice to follow Jesus. Even Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. And there's the problem, isn't it? There's the problem. We want to be a disciple of Jesus. We want to follow him. But he asked me to deny myself. I have to forget about what I want sometimes. You mean I can't just come to church on Sundays and raise my hand and sing a few songs and then go out and do what I want after that? And the answer is no. Not if you want to be a true follower of Jesus. Jesus wants you completely sold out to him because he knows that's what's good for you. That means we don't tell the guy off that's in our face, right? I saw this meme on Facebook. It says, you know, I really want to follow Jesus, but I want to slap people too. That's funny, but because it's true most of the time. But you have to deny that pleasure. You have to deny that. Even though in your flesh it would feel good to do that. That means we actually do pray for those that do us wrong. We can't just pick and choose out of the word what we want to. We can't just pick and choose the miracles of Jesus and live off of those. Because Jesus said to do these things too. And you can't just be a hermit in your life and think, well, I'm just going to sit here and not do nothing so I don't mess up. But what did Jesus say to him who knows the good to do and does it not? That's still sin. You know, and it means less of us and more of Jesus. That's what it means. You know, and sometimes you get in that rut and it feels like, God, I'm trying so hard in living this godly life, but it's hard. But Jesus says there is, there is 
benefit and there's reward in it, not only for this life, but in the life to come. And that's the one that matters because that's eternity. A hundred years on this earth will seem like nothing compared to eternity. That reward that is waiting for you in eternity, trust me, will be worth it. It will be worth denying yourself. I promise you that. And Jesus knows it's not going to be easy. That's why he said it's going to take sacrifice. That's why he said count the cost before you do it. But the great thing is, though, he also knows that we can't do it on our own. He knows that we can't self-will it. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. See, because he knows the more we follow him, the closer we get to him, the easier it is to live the godly life, the easier it is to live and do what God wants. But we have to do those things. You know, he even promised us in those times when it's hard. He promised us he's going to be there to help. Those times when you feel like giving up and giving in to what the world wants, he says, I'll be there in those times if you'll let me. Matthew chapter 11, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know if you guys know this i talked to an old farmer um, and he talked about he was telling me about or i read about the yokes and how they used to work nowadays i mean you could ask a farmer some of them probably still know most of them use three hundred thousand dollar combines now <laughs> but the way those yokes were made they were they were weighted they were weighted to one side and they would put their strongest animal on the one side And they would put their weak animal, the one they're trying to train and develop, on the other side. So what happened when they're plowing this field and the work gets heavy, that stronger one takes over. And he starts pulling the weight and doing the work while this younger one is developing and getting stronger and stronger while being yoked to the strong one. I think that's beautiful when you see the scripture like that. Sometimes you just breeze right through it. Yeah, we don't see that there, but sometimes you just breeze right through Scripture and you don't stop for a second. That's a beautiful imagery. Just like the song we sang, there's going to be another in the fire. That's what Jesus is saying when you're yoked to him. That when it gets heavy and when it gets hard, I'm going to do the work. While I'm training you and while I'm developing you, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to pull you along. I'm going to carry you, is what he's saying there. And in those tough times when you think you can't follow or you think you can't obey any longer, Jesus says, I'm here. I'm going to carry you through it. And Jesus begins to carry the weight, doesn't he? That's just an awesome picture when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you guys ever been to a baseball or football game? Most of you guys, I'm sure, have. Um, You know, and your team starts getting blown out, right? It's winter. You're watching maybe the Raiders, somebody. I don't know. But your, your team starts getting blown out, and you're out in the cold, and your team is doing terrible. What happens? 
Most of the people get up and leave, right? They want to beat traffic. They want to do whatever. It's cold outside. But then you have those few crazies over there that they got their shirts off and they're, they're cheering their team on no matter what. But most people give up. We give up on the team. We give up when it gets hard. And that's the way it is in Jesus' ministry. That's the way it was in his ministry on this earth. Most people gave up. They gave up on him. Jesus had so many fans, so many people that follow him. He drew such huge crowds. But most of the people gave up on him. You know, at one time he was in chapter or in John chapter six. He's all these people are gathering and they're following him. This is coming right off of feeding the five thousand. They're they're clinging to him and they're following him, and he's growing in his popularity. Uh, and these people come to him because they want to get fed. And they want to get something from Jesus. And man, they're like, man, we just got fed the other day. Let's go get us a free free meal, right? He's feeding people all the time. Let's go get it done. And Jesus speaks there, and he, and he starts to talk about food that they'll eat, that they'll never go hungry, if they'll do it. And all, the people, you know, they're just like, yeah, yeah, just give us this food. Give us, if you're talking about it and it's that good, give it to us. And then he says, well, you must eat my body, <laughs> which is the bread of life, and you must drink my blood. And the people are like, what you talking about, Willis? I just came here for the free Happy Meal. Now, Jesus wasn't talking figuratively or, or literally. He was talking figuratively. He was talking about this new life that they can have that they'll fully sell out and that they'll fully trust him for their eternal life. That's what he's talking about. But the people don't see that. They, they think this guy's crazy. You know, or, or on the triumphal entry. People were screaming and yelling, Hosanna in the highest, right? He had a bunch of fans. But what happened when it got tough? Crucify him. That's what they yelled. The people didn't want to hear those things. They were appalled. And they start to grumble against Jesus. And in John 6, it says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I think that's just a sad statement that most of those people walked away and quit following Jesus. Who knows? what their life could have been like had they stuck with him and followed him. But when, when something's asked of them, when they have to deny themselves and give up a little bit for him, what do they do? They walk away. And those are the fans we talked about. But look at the contrast. Jesus said, are you 12 going to go away from me also? And what, what does Peter say? Where else can we go? What else can we do? You, you're the one. You are the only one that has the words of eternal life. And that's what Jesus is wanting from us to realize. Where else can we go? He alone 
has the words of eternal life. He alone has the power to change your life. You know, Jesus had plenty of fans, and he still does across this world, that are willing to give up an hour, hour and a half on Sundays to come in and raise their hands and, and praise the Lord. He has plenty of those people. You know, they love to come to church and, and talk about Jesus for an hour or so, and then they want to go out and do their own thing. What he wants are followers. What he wants are people that are sold out to him. What he wants are those people that says, come what may, Lord, I will follow you. No matter what happens, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Even when I can't see the outcome, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Even when life throws those things at me and those tragedies at me, I'm going to follow you. Because where else can I go? Where else is better than being in your presence? And I'm sure many people are saying, well, you just don't know my story. You don't know how hard it is to be this and follow Jesus. You don't know how hard it is to have this happen and follow Jesus. You don't know, you don't know, and I don't know some of those things. But here's what I do know. Is praise Jesus that he didn't feel that way about us. You see, Jesus suffered, undeservingly suffered, and was beaten. And he walked the walk and was spit on and was mocked and ridiculed. He suffered that shame for us. That's what I do know. He hung naked on a cross, the ultimate disgrace for a Jewish person. He hung on the cross and suffered a death that he didn't deserve. So what I do know is that he sold out for you, that he sold out for me. That's what I do know. But yet we want to make excuses for why we can't follow him. You know, uh, this is my last point here. We've been talking a lot about the, the rapture and about how awesome it's going to be when Jesus takes us up and we don't have to go through all this stuff that's going on in the earth. But I want to be honest with you. After we're raptured, we're going to face a judgment too. And that's why all this is so important. And we're not going to be judged for our eternal life, but we're going to face a judgment. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. You know, we're going to one day look and stand before Jesus and see those piercings. And see that in his side. And see the suffering and know the suffering that he went through for us. We're going to stand before him and get to see all of that. And the Bible says that we're going to be laid bare. That means brought before him, laid wide open naked, and he's going to disclose everything about us. And we get to stand in that judgment. And how do we want to be recognized? Do we want to be known by Jesus as someone that was a sellout, who every time that it got tough, walked away? Or do we want to be known as that crazy fan, that, that, that sellout, or that one that sold out for him, that no matter what happens, I'm going to be there following Jesus? 
How do you want to be known when you stand in that judgment? Because there's no escaping it. As good and gracious as Jesus is, we're going to be judged by our Christian life. And praise God that while we're still here and while we're still breathing, no matter what path we're on, no matter what we did last night or last week, we can change it. Philippians 3 says, No, dear brothers, I am still not all that I should be. This is in the New Living, uh, New Living Translation. But I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me up to heaven. Jesus says, or Paul says, I'm forgetting it all. I don't care what I did in my past. I don't care where I came from last week, last night. I don't care what, what is in my past. I'm leaving it all behind. All the shame, all the regrets, all those things that the world tries to put back on me, I'm leaving it behind, and I'm going to reach forward to what Jesus is calling me up to heaven for. I'm going to reach forward to that prize that God has waiting for me. I'm going to forget all the past and not let it bring me down, and I'm going to keep working. I'm going to get back on the path, on the race, on the course that God has for me, and I'm going to keep moving. And this is the last scripture here, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God, or the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is it too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform. Remember that saying, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Paul says there, don't be transformed or don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it get the best of you. But be transformed by what? By self-willing it to do better? He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God change your mind by his word. You know, Jesus said that he's the vine and we're the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So here's my challenge to you guys. That today, you promise yourself, I'm going to give God a full week every day. A full week, I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get up every morning, and I'm going to ask God for the strength and the faith that day to get through just that day. I'm not worried about a month from now. I'm not worried about the past, and I'm not worried about a month from now. I want God to give me the strength to get through this day, today, and to be pleasing to him and to stay on that path for this day. I challenge you to do that for, for one week and see what God does in your life. Let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so, again, so thankful to be here this morning. Jesus, you are so good, Lord.
that no matter what we did, no matter where we came from, Lord, your blood was shed for us. And that you would suffer so much for us that, God, that we don't truly fully understand it, God, and we don't truly do all that we should. But you still love us anyways, Lord. And you, you are the God of second and third chances, Lord. You are the God that says, come now and follow me. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Jesus, most of all, we thank you that you loved us enough that you were willing to die for us, Lord. And God, all that we have that we can repay you with is our praise. There's nothing we can give you to measure up to that, God. So this morning, we just want to give you our praise. And we just pray that it would be pleasing to you, Lord. And God, we ask that during this week that all that we do and all that we say might bring glory and honor to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask. Amen.